We're going to be talking about the problem of doubt this morning and even the consequences of when we doubt God and His Word. All of us struggle with doubt at one time or another. We, when we believe in God, we sometimes still wonder why He allows certain things to happen or why He doesn't seem to intervene when we're going through difficult situations. Or maybe you're like the priest Zacharias. You have a long-standing prayer that God has yet to answer, and you, you wonder why heaven still seems silent. In the first chapter of Luke, a little review here, the gospel writer described Zacharias and Elizabeth, a godly couple, as an elderly couple. He says they were both advanced in years. They had no children. Elizabeth was barren. And Zacharias was a priest who married Elizabeth. She was a woman of priestly descent. And, and Luke says that they were both righteous in the sight of God. They walked blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. They were a godly couple. They, they loved God. They served him. And during the regular rotation of his priestly duties, as Zacharias went to serve in the temple one week, Zacharias had the honor to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. The burning of the incense represented the prayers of the people ascending to heaven. While the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the morning incense. And it was a very special time for this elderly priest. You see, he and his wife had prayed often and for many years for a son to carry on the family name and to fill their lives with joy. And while Zacharias was there in the temple, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right of the altar of incense in the holy place. And it says, fear gripped Zacharias. And as he listened to the angel, he heard these words, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition, your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son and you will give him the name John. And then the angel continued, Zacharias, you'll have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. God answered the prayers of this righteous couple in a most impressive manner. But it was not just a message of importance just for this humble couple. It was also an important message for all the people of Israel. The angel said, for this child will be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll drink no wine or liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he'll turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. God had chosen this child for a special purpose. He'll have a special anointing of the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. His message will be the instrument of God to bring revival to the nation. And his presence will remind people of the spirit and power of Elijah. His message will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. This child to be born will prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. God answers our prayers. He does the impossible. He accomplishes his eternal purposes in the most astounding manner and way. And you'd think that Zacharias would have handled this better, at least when it came to faith, that but he had doubts. He had great doubts. In fact, he did not believe the angel of the Lord at all. We pick up the account in verse 18 of the first chapter of Luke. If you have a Bible handy, turn to the first chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning at the 18th verse. Here we see that Zacharias expressed his doubt. Verse 18 of Luke chapter 1. Zechariah said to the angel, 
How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Now the people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and they kept making signs, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. And after these days, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are the God of the impossible. But you are so the God of the little things, the God of the small stuff even in our lives. Father, you pray about every every little aspect, every little detail of our life and what we are going through, what we are feeling, what we are experiencing. Father, we thank you that you care for us. And Father, I pray that you administer to us, each one of us this morning, Lord, and, and whatever our doubts, whatever our fears, whatever it might be, Lord, that uh, is causing us to, to wonder those whys. Why, Lord? Why is this happening? Why, why doesn't it seem that I have to either struggle so long, Father, or have questions about things, Lord? And Father, I just pray that we'd be like the father who came to Jesus to ask for help for his son. And, and the father said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Father, this morning, help our unbelief. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Zacharias was a man of faith, yet he experienced doubt. Verse 18 of, of chapter 1 of, of Luke's gospel says, Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this for certain, for I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The idea that Zacharias expresses here is, is hey, I'm supposed to believe this? <laughs> really, this is ridiculous. I'm an old man, and my wife is an old lady. Actually, he was a little bit more tactful about his wife. He said, she is advanced in years. But Zacharias showed himself to be a skeptic. Someone who needs proof. Don't just take the angel's word for it. I need certain proof. He says, really, give me a sign. From what the angel told him in verse 20, we know that Zacharias didn't believe the angel. The angel said to Zacharias, you did not believe my words. You did not believe what I told you. It was not enough for Zacharias that God had said so. Zacharias wanted some collateral evidence to guarantee the truth of the word of God. And this really is a common fault among really good people. They look for a sign. They're not going to believe until they have a sign that verifies the truth of the matter. Just give me a sign. Just give me a sign. And yes, we need to know that sometimes God does give signs. A sign is something that points to the truth. You'll remember that when the the angels appeared to the shepherds when they're washing their fields by night and they announced the birth of Jesus Christ to them. This shall be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths 
and lying in a manger. But the shepherds believed. They had no doubts. They, they just needed further guidance to how to find the baby. So the angel said, this is the sign. This is what to look for. This is what a sign does. And quite frankly, Zacharias should have believed. But people of faith do experience doubt. A well-instructed Jew, a priest like Zacharias, should not have raised such a question. No doubt he had studied and been raised and was well acquainted with the Old Testament scriptures. He ought to have remembered the wonderful births of, of Isaac and Samson and Samuel and others, these miraculous births. He should have remembered that if God had done it once, and even more than once, God can do it again. And with God, nothing is impossible. But Zacharias forgot this. Zacharias walked with God as he had done for so many years, but he should have known that he should have known and trusted that God, that none of us are exempt from the problem of doubt. And, and, and Zacharias did doubt. Other great men and women of faith in the Bible also had their moments of doubt. Sarah, the wife of Abraham, stumbled over a very similar situation. Abraham and Sarah were, were well advanced in years. And when, when the Lord announced to Abraham that his wife Sarah would give birth to a son, Sarah was listening in from the other side of the tent wall, and she laughed in doubt. In fact, later they named the baby Isaac laughter. That's what Isaac means. And even the promised son of Zachariah and Elizabeth, John the Baptist, would have a time of doubt. There was a time when John was languishing in prison and began to wonder if, if Jesus is truly the Messiah is he the promised one? Then, then why am I languishing in prison? And, and so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? This is John doubting. And Jesus replied, he said, go and report to John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. And then Jesus gently rebuked John's doubt by adding, And blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. But Jesus went on to tell the crowd that those born among women, John is the greatest. No one is greater than John. John was a godly man, but he had his doubts. And doubts tend to come when the troubles and things seem to be the hardest. So doubt is a problem even for those who are righteous in the sight of God. If godly men like Zacharias and John fell into doubt, we need to be on guard that we do not fall. Since even the godly have fallen, we may wonder then, where does doubt come from? What is the source of doubt? Why, why do we doubt? You see, here is the source or the origin of doubt. Doubt always does this. Doubt focuses on what we can't do rather than what God can do. God focuses on what we can't do rather than what God can do. You see, our sinful hearts make us all prone to limit God by our human potential. That's our perspective. If humankind can't do it, then then maybe God can't do it as well. But we're, we're caught as one of those of partly being human, or we are human, and uh, so we think only in terms of human potential. And the disciples of Jesus fell into this error. 
when they were faced with the crowd of 5,000 hungry men plus women and children. And, and Jesus asked Philip, where are we to buy food that these may, may eat? And John explains that Jesus asked this to test Philip, to test Philip, to test his faith. What is the level of, of Philip's faith? You see, Jesus knew what he was about to do. He was going to feed the 5,000 plus women and children and in this great crowd. But he asked Philip, where do we buy the bread? And Philip did a quick calculation and concluded, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive just a little. But Philip did not answer the question. Jesus asked where. Where do we go to buy the bread? Where are the marketplaces? You see, Philip was from that part of, of the area where they were. He wouldn't know where the marketplaces were. But Philip jumped to how. How are we going to do it? So Philip failed the test of faith. Maybe Philip thought that he was giving a faith-stretching answer because the disciples clearly did not have 200 denarii worth uh, of, uh, to buy bread. But he was limiting God through normal human means. But God had a completely different solution. Namely, miraculously multiplying the few loaves and fishes that they had on hand. Now you may wonder, if you have read ahead and you know what's coming up in the Gospel of Luke, because Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she is told by the angel that she was going to, to bear a, a son, the Holy Spirit would come over her, uh, she asked a similar, very, a similar question. When the angel told her she had become pregnant with Jesus, she asked, how can this be? since I am a virgin. How can this be since I am a virgin? But the angel did not confront Mary for her doubting. And even Abraham laughed and brought up the matter of his and Sarah's old age when he was promised a son, but he was not corrected for doubting. Well, Sarah was. Gideon twice asked God for a sign, and he was not rebuked. But Zacharias asked the angel for a sign, and he was rebuked for his doubting. Why these differences? John Calvin brings up these various cases that, that I've talked about and points out. The difference was not in the word spoken. It's not in what the promise is given. But the difference was in the heart of each person. You see, God sees the hidden secrets of each person's heart. God knew that Zacharias was different then Abraham was different than Gideon, was different than Mary. Zacharias was limiting God by the normal course of human nature. He and Elizabeth were too old to have children. Case closed. Never going to happen. But he should have acknowledged, as Gabriel says to Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. But doubt does have its consequences, as we hear with Zacharias. We see in verses 19 through 23 of Luke chapter 1 that doubt robs us of blessings. It robs us of the blessings of God. After Zacharias questions all this about how it can happen, it says in verse 19, The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to you to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day excuse me, till the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. 
Zacharias didn't believe the word of, of God. That's serious. It's a serious thing to disbelieve the word of God. And the angel's response is appropriate. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. The Greek grammar here is very emphatic. I am Gabriel. This is not just some common visitor. This is not just some angel who wandered in the temple, as it were, with a message. This is Gabriel. There are myriads and myriads of angels, 10,000 times 10,000 angels, which is a way of saying we can't even count them. There are numerous angels, uncountable numbers of angels that God created and who are holy and who are in his presence. Now, only two of them are named in the Bible. Only two angels are named. There's Michael. Michael is that sort of super angel. He's the chief prince of angels. He shows up when there's a, a battle to fight. He's the angel who wages war in the heavenlies. And then there is Gabriel, who is God's number one messenger with mega messages. So Michael is the mega warrior and Gabriel brings the mega messages. When there's a massive message to deliver, like the whole of redemptive history and the coming of the Messiah and the establishment of the kingdom, Gabriel is sent to the prophet Daniel to deliver the message. Or when the messianic story begins and is inaugurated with the birth of the forerunner, John the Baptist, he shows up to make that announcement to this humble priest named Zacharias. This is important stuff. And then it's going to be Gabriel again who comes to, to Mary with the announcement that she would bear the Messiah. Now the name Gabriel means the mighty one of God, the mighty one of God. He says, I'm Gabriel. I'm not just your common run-of-the-mill holy angel. I am Gabriel, the mighty one of God who stands in the presence of God. Having been sent by God, Gabriel came down from the throne room of God and said, I have been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. Good news. Good news, it translates the Greek word euangelizo in the Bible, or euangelion, it means good news. We get the word evangelism or evangelical from it. And uh, so it's the word that really means the gospel, because gospel is the old English word for, for good news. Good news. And, and Luke really loves this word, good news. He uses it about ten times in his gospel, and it's only used once in the other three, three gospels. Luke uses it, loves the word good news. It's the best news. And what is the good news? Simply, God is sending a Savior to die for your sins. So you can spend forever with him in heaven. That's good news. And all this gets launched with the arrival of the forerunner, John. But doubt and unbelief has consequences. Gabriel continues, verse 20, telling Zacharias, Zacharias, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Although our doubts do not keep God from graciously blessing us according to his promise, he still keeps his promises even when we doubt. He does lovingly discipline us in our doubts so that we may share in his holiness. Because of doubt, we forsake certain blessings. 
doubt causes us to be disciplined by the Lord, that we might grow in holiness and faith. So the angel struck Zacharias dumb. He couldn't speak. And apparently it was deaf as well, because uh, after the birth of the baby, when Zacharias still couldn't speak, uh, those present were making signs to him. I don't know what they did to, to find out from Zacharias what the name of the child should be. So apparently Zacharias was, was deaf as well. He couldn't speak, nor could he hear. By doubting God's ambassador, Gabriel, Zacharias, you see, was doubting God himself. And God took that seriously. And as a loving father, he taught his erring child a lesson he would never forget. The angel specifically states Zechariah's sin, because you did not believe my words. And this is further underscored later in the narrative when Elizabeth exclaims to Mary when the two mothers-to-be come together and, and Elizabeth cries out, Blessed is he, she who did believe. Blessed is she who believed that there'd be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Mary was blessed because she believed. Zacharias was not blessed because he did not believe. And that's the point. Since God would fulfill his word, each one of us should be believing like Mary, not unbelieving like Zacharias. And Zacharias' chastisement was appropriate for his sin. God shut his mouth in silence when he should have praised God. So he would be silent until the day when his lips were loose to praise God in front of others. You see, doubt has nothing to say. Doubt has nothing to say. Why, faith opens up the heart and the lips in praise to God. And thank, thankfully, doubt never needs to be fatal. We can recover if we submit to God's gracious discipline. You see, during his months of silence, Zacharias submitted himself to God. We know from what he says later, the streams of praise that come out of his mouth when he does speak, that Zacharias spent his days meditating on God's word and being thankful for God's faithfulness and fulfilling the gracious promise. And this is evident from the stream of praise that gushes forth when he finally has his speech restored because what gushes from Zacharias' mouth has references to scripture and how God has fulfilled all those promises. And if Zacharias had spent those silent months grumbling, as it were, I don't know when you, how you grumble when you can't speak, but if he had been thinking about how unfair God was to strike him deaf and dumb and not had meditated on God's word, he would not have erupted in praise as he did. But there's another blessing that is forsaken in this text. Typically, after the, the priest offered the, the incense on the altar, the people would have been waiting outside in, in prayer. And, uh, you know, when he was to offer the incense, there was a signal that was to be given. He would place the incense on the coals. The smoke and the perfume would rise, symbolizing the, the, the prayers going up to God. And then the priest would immediately come out of the temple. And there on the steps of the temple he would pronounce the Aaronic blessing on the people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you. May he keep you in perfect peace. But on this day, there would be no blessing for anyone. When Zacharias came out, he was mute. He could not speak. 
Zacharias had forfeited the blessing, and now all the people were even suffering the consequences of not being blessed by God that day. Verse 21 of Luke chapter 1. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Zacharias was unable to speak the blessing. He was unable to tell people what had happened and what God had said through the angel. He was unable to tell them the good news. He was unable to tell them anything at all. As Zacharias was not able to tell Israel that Messiah is coming. And verse 23 is telling, when the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. He had not yet completed his week of priestly service. He hadn't finished out the week of his service in the temple. So he had to go through the rest of that week without being able to hear, without being able to speak. He had plenty of time for his own thoughts, as he would for the next nine months. And when Zacharias got home, you have to wonder how he explained all this to his wife, Elizabeth. But in however all that happened, Elizabeth expressed her faith in God. Verse 24. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for nine months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. And, of course, her disgrace was her, her barrenness. So why would she keep herself in seclusion for five months? Well, in those days, they wore loose-fitting robes, and the, the mother wouldn't show until probably about the fifth month. But until then, she didn't want to tell anybody the good news that she was pregnant. They would have thought the old lady had gone batty. She lost her mind. They knew she was old and barren. Everybody knew that she hadn't had any children. And Elizabeth was the kind of person that had to tell people what God had done. And if she started announcing everywhere, I am pregnant, look what, the God, what God has done, nobody's going to buy it. They'd think she had totally gone nutty. And it would have been just more disgrace. Well, well, at five months when she begins to show, it becomes more believable. But until that time, rather than go out and get more disgrace, rather than go out and get more shame, rather go out and try not to tell people that you are pregnant when you are, and you want to tell everybody you're pregnant, you want to tell everybody what God has done with this astonishing, amazing, supernatural miracle, it's so much easier just to stay at home and self-isolate, right? Social distance. And knowing the kind of people Zacharias and Elizabeth were, and when we read in Luke's gospel the songs and the blessings and their testimonies that would later come from the lips of both Zacharias and, and Elizabeth, we know that they spent this precious, precious time together with one another in seclusion and much precious time together with God in his word and in prayer. You know, it must have really been something. Think about this. During this time as they studied God's word and they got into the Hebrew scriptures and they looked and, and searched the scriptures to see what God not only said about their promised son, but what God had said, 
how their son would prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. And looking at all those promises of the coming of the Messiah and the Christ and, and all that, they would have studied that and they searched the scriptures to see that all that God was going to do through their son and through their Messiah. And during this time, their faith grew and grew and grew. And from this point on, there was a glow in their lives. In six months, they would host Mary in their home, the mother-to-be, the son of God, and they would nurture Mary in her faith. They would hear, hear Mary sing the psalm that we have in Luke, the Magnificat. And then speechless Zacharias would one day sing his song of faith, the Benedictus. There were stupendous spiritual events on the horizon leading up to the birth of the Messiah. So he would later die for our sins and give us eternal life. The truth of the message is as sure as the words of Gabriel to Zacharias. So what do we do when we experience doubts? When we're going through something that human potential and human strategy and all our plans and all our figuring out cannot solve and, and we begin to think that God isn't going to do anything either. What did Jesus tell John when he doubted when he was in prison? Jesus basically said, look to me. Look to me. Look at what I have done. Look at what I have said. Look to Jesus. Get into God's word and look to Jesus. You probably are familiar with the account of when the disciples were terrified by the storm that was battering their boat. They, they were out on the Sea of Galilee and they thought they were going to, to drown. And Jesus came to them walking on the water and at first the disciples thought it was a ghost and they cried out in fear. But Jesus said, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter cried out to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat. He walked on the water for a little bit. He came towards Jesus. But then Peter took his eyes off Jesus and he looked around at all his surroundings. He looked at the wind. He, he looked at the waves and he became frightened and began to sink. That's what happens when we take our eyes off Jesus. So what did Peter do? He looked back to the Lord and he said, Lord, save me. Save me. He looked to Jesus. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand. He took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Look to Jesus. Like Zacharias and Elizabeth get into the word of God. Study who Jesus is, what he has done for you. Look to Jesus, and he will lift you up. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we look to you right now, Father. We look to Jesus as well. Father, we thank you for the example of Zacharias and Elizabeth and the example of many of those that we've talked about and seen in, in your word this morning, Father. And we know that uh, we are going to have times of doubt. And 
everything that our country and our world is going through right now, Lord, it seems at every level there are things that uh, are disconcerting and would cause us to doubt, Father. How's it going to turn out with the coronavirus? Uh, How's it going to turn out with uh, the injustice, social injustice we see in our world and and those who would uh, precipitate violence as an excuse to speak against justice, Father? And, and Lord, we just don't know. There's so many things that would cause us to doubt, Father. But uh, we pray that as we look to you, as we look to Jesus, Father, you would increase our faith. Father, we do believe. Help our unbelief. And Father, I would pray that you would give us the confirmations that each one of us need, whatever they might be as we go along, that we would see in real and tangible and wonderful ways how you are working in our lives. For nothing is impossible for you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you once again for joining me in this study of Luke. If you have been blessed by this ministry, I call my ministry Beholding His Glory. If you'd like to support it, you can uh, send your gift to, to me, to Bill Slabaugh. That's a post office box 523, box 523 in Emmett, Idaho, 83617. And if you didn't get all that down, uh, you can find the mailing address at beholdinghisglory.org. Beholdinghisglory, it's all one word, dot O-R-G. One word, beholdinghisglory.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you. May he keep you in perfect peace. Amen.